Well, hello, and welcome to episode two of the fun and interactive podcast. All right. We are live. We are official. Let's rock and roll, man. Yeah. So, I... <laughs> I'm happy that we have week one in the books. I learned a lot this past week about podcasts in general and how to post them. I'm happy to report that we're on iTunes, uh, we are on Google Play, and we are on Stitcher. So if you are listening to us from the future, you can catch us on any of those platforms. But I personally wanted to mention that uh, we learned a lot after episode one as well, and we are going to be changing the format a bit, specifically... Um, Justin Larson is going to talk and then Justin's going to talk some more and then we're going to end up with Justin talking <laughs> because Justin is significantly more entertaining than I having listened to it back and, no, 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 no. and uh, now that I know that he's got such fun characters like <laughs> our DJ friend from Ladies Night available um, I think that we're just going to rename this the uh, the Eddie Murphy podcast and you'll just play every character I'm a pretty big Eddie Murphy fan, actually. Eddie Murphy and Peter Sellers are my acting inspirations. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, at best, I'm like the Martin Lawrence, meaning I can do like, you know, me and Big Mama, you know, like that's where my my skills end. Um, I understand she's got a nice house. She she does in fact have a house. You know, I got I got a uh, I got a confession to make, man. I saw Big Mama's house in the theaters. <laughs> wow. That is not a confession. That is, that is something else. I'll be, uh, I'll be seeing myself out now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to, you have to talk the whole thing. In fact, uh, I think that we just need to make it so that you do me, right? Like we should have you do impressions of I. <laughs> it's hard, man. It's hard. I actually work quite a bit on like getting like characters down actually orc we've done him enough now that i watch him back and i see all the inconsistencies like how he's slowly speaking more and more clearly in the beginning he was just a total moron well uh like anything you, you get experience doing something and you learn and orc <laughs> is now speaking and more smashing less that's true that's true <clears throat> You know what we could do tonight, Charmer? We could invite all of the ladies to come on down for a special podcast episode where not one, not two, not three, but as many ladies as can fit into the studio join us on the air. I mean, you're not wrong. We could do that. <laughs> my yeah, my wife is like uh, a room away. She is also significantly more entertaining than I. <laughs> you know, I, I remember you saying one time that she used to stream some too, didn't you? Uh, yeah, that's going to be coming back here uh, really soon, actually. So I've got some YouTube highlights of her doing it. But when I was trying to make the push for Twitch Partner, um, we kind of had to put it temporarily on hold because of concerns about consistency, right? Right. Because like, her style and her audience is so drastically different from mine that we didn't want them to review the application and go, you know, whoa, 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 what's going on here? So we, we kind of had to, we had to nix it for a bit, but that's coming back, like, here real soon. That's awesome. I am uh, spamming Reddit with information about our podcast. You should do just that. 
they need to know. The people need to know. I agree. <laughs> it would be fun one time to do one of these podcasts in character. Uh, I would yeah. need to. Uh, I would need to drink quite a bit of coffee before I did this for forty-five minutes. <laughs> yeah, I think that I would have to then also commit to a character. I don't know. I don't know which one that I would want to go with. Honestly, like every little thing can inspire like one of these characters, right? Like uh, uh, with the DJ Ladies Night, it was uh, listening to an Adam Carolla podcast, and I realized like I could totally pretend to be a sleazy Adam Carolla. <laughs> is is that like exclusive from the normal Adam Carolla? <laughs> really good point. You know, I feel like uh, you know, I think. I don't know. I think Loveline's off the air now, but like growing up, Loveline is a big part of like what I did on the weeknights. You know, I would tune in on my radio, and I used to think Adam Carolla was like the smartest guy in the world. And looking back on it, like I realize he's he's kind of an idiot, but <laughs> he was a big inspiration to me as a teenager. Yeah, like realistically, he was like the last person that should have been on something like Loveline. You know what I mean? Like absolutely, he yeah. is not like the model for what I would consider healthy relationship building by any means. No, not at all. Not at all. <clears throat> oh, so what, what we, do we? What are we going to be talking about today? Oh man, how about how you are so good at making robot noises and impressions? Oh, uh, did I just make a robot noise? Yeah, it was just your connection. But since we were talking about your your yeah. impersonation skills, I felt like it was just appropriate timing, you know. A robot would be a great character. Um, I'm struggling to understand how I fit into Elder Scrolls lore, but then I reflected on <laughs> most of my other characters. <laughs> uh, excuse you, Dwamer Knight. Like, there we go. There we here's, go. Here's what you do, right? You either can dress up like a Dwamer. Um, you could cut out some cardboard, uh, make like, make like one of those uh, robot costumes, like a little kid would, and go that route, or the other alternative would be that you could be a dwarf, right? Weren't the uh, Dwemer oh, built yeah. by dwarves, right? That's you look right, very, that's right. very dwarf-like. I do, I do. And my ex. Yeah, we all look dwarvish. Dwarven. Yeah. I don't know. Dwarves are drifting close to, like, the offensive kinds of characters that I don't want to accidentally say something wrong in. No, I, I just... <laughs> the ladies' <laughs> night one was tough. Like, I, I actually recorded six games with that character and uh they were just not not ready for prime time <laughs> well all right so clearly this is not something that was on our agenda for the evening but i have to ask the question right do you yeah. when you are in character right do you think that it is acceptable to say things that you would not agree with or that might be offensive if it does fit the character because i know that you got some slack for your your prophecy battle mage deck from a while ago and i know <laughs> yes, that when you did like your one percent video some people said yep. like don't get political even though you're really just trying to be like rich 80s guy you know right, whatever right. but like i just wonder like the <laughs> the line between a good character performance and a decent person aren't <laughs> aren't always one and the same and i was curious how you would both well how you've balanced that in the past but how you would do that in the future 
because, I mean, the Elder Scrolls universe is filled with a bunch of people that are, let's be honest, are just not very nice people. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I try to stay super unoffensive, like, as Justin, um, just because, you know, I I don't know, I want I don't want kids getting in trouble when their parents hear them watching the, the channel and stuff. I do, I am a little more relaxed with the characters. Um, the line, actually, that I ended up including in the video last night, that or this morning, I guess, when I released it, that... I was most concerned about is when I said when I said something about my whore of an ex-wife and I went back and forth about it and I talked to Sandra about it and uh, we decided it'd be that we should just I should just post a comment you know on the top of the the, uh, the YouTube video saying hey I don't actually you know this is this is not me this is uh, <laughs> DJ ladies night <laughs> <laughs> but I mean like philosophically I think that like yeah there's a huge difference between a character's performance and like actually represent as a human being i mean otherwise everybody who ever played hitler on tv would have some serious explaining to do sure uh, what i want on the channel you know i'm i i don't know i try to keep it pretty light um you know i recognize that like there are a lot of legends content creators and uh what i want to do is uh you know have my own voice and part of that voice is just being sort of silly too serious like uh, like you said the uh the the one percent guy that was actually 99% ironically inspired by uh American Psycho and uh you know I made jokes about business cards and stuff like that yeah and, no it makes total sense um yeah there was like 1% Trump jokes in there too but <laughs> well I mean I, uh, if it's he's part of, of the 1% since... well yeah I mean we went ahead and basically elected uh <laughs> American Psycho so <laughs> oh that, you know, I gotta say, like, if he ever mid, you know, I'm keeping this non-political as well, right? But just, just hear me out from like a, an experience standpoint, if he ever mid press conference, mid interview, just stopped and said, I have to go now, I have to return some videotapes. Like, I don't know <laughs> what I would do. Like, I don't know if I would be like yeah. happy and laugh or be legitimately concerned. Right. Oh, He's pretty funny. It's a shame he doesn't have a sense of humor about himself because he has a tremendously over-the-top personality that would really lend itself towards a little, uh, a little, you know, making fun of himself. But that's all right. Yeah. We're all here. We're all here to take care of that for him. Right. Once you're in that level of publicity, it's uh... yeah. Somebody will do it for you. You know what I mean? Exactly. You can't. You can't. You can't just be a cameo in Home Alone 2 anymore. <laughs> That's true. Oh. He's a comedian's dream. Alright, so. Um, tonight, ahead. I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to say. Tonight, <laughs> we were going to talk about, like, uh, two, two things. And I thought we would start with um, the one that you had suggested this week. Just because I actually thought it was a really neat and interesting topic um especially since we with the mobile alert uh, release excuse me i'm not drinking i swear with the mobile release we got a pretty large influx of new players and they are certainly familiar with scout and ramp scout now um yeah but they might not understand like the history i was kind of chuckling to myself because i was on I know I shouldn't have been right, but like I was on Reddit the other day and I was reading something um, that somebody was 
you know, complaining about Scout at one point, and they said, uh, Scout's, you know, always been around, but it was never a problem until, you know, this point, and then, you know, here's all the reasons why it's going to be bad in the future, and I was just yeah. chuckling to myself, and I was like, if only you knew, right? Like, the first right. community tournament was won by what I <laughs> what I call Money Scout. Like, whenever I build a Ramp Scout deck, I put the dollar sign for the uh, uh, S, and that's my own that's personal right. throwback to your scout list right like that's that's my nod to you so if only people knew that scouts been around for a long time it just wasn't played very heavily early at least in my opinion because it was expensive to build so people didn't yeah, have the resources so yeah i'm sure that uh well if we're super excited that uh the first tournament winning deck was one that cost an arm and a leg to build <laughs> yeah right it was fun. You know, the joke was that at the time, like, uh, Control Warrior was big in Hearthstone, and it was called Wallet Warrior, so uh, I tried to make Skrilla Scout a thing, but it turns out there's not a lot of overlap between people who know what Skrilla means and people who play Elder Scrolls Legends. <laughs> what? No way. I know this is going to come as a shock, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, Scout's been through a lot of interesting changes. You know, and, and there's always been Ramp Scout uh, at varying degrees of, of, you know, playability, but there's been all sorts of other scout decks too. I mean, like, like this spring, you know, there was a a while where Dazer, I think, popularized a um, a scout deck running Illusory Mimic, which was a lot of fun to watch him do. Yeah. And uh, you know, it, it showed up on the ladder quite a bit for a while when he started doing it. I mean, that was a deck that uh, you know was was a mid range deck, but was able to beat you down with oversized purple creatures and you know incredibly overstated uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I plan on touching on it, obviously, as we kind of talk about the history of the class in general, but yeah. it's fair to say that Ramp is not the only type of scout that has ever existed. Um, you know, not only do we have Mimic Scout, but Midrange Scout has been a thing. In fact, I've been playing it this season. I went rank uh, four, right through from four to three by going like nice. seven and two or something like that on Midrange Scout, nice. right? Like. Nice not a ramp card in it just uh you know tempo plays from agility and beefy things from endurance and sometimes that's just enough right like if you win control of the board it plays just like sorcerer but instead of wards you just have um you know the agility right. package so you know Charged. that's certainly a thing um there's also been silence scout uh, that's right silent spell sword typically is the one that comes to mind, but the old, like, imprisoned Death Lord, you know, play a 7-7 seven, seven for four. Format, four magic of 7-7s seven, <laughs> yep. are good in every format. And then yeah. suppress it, and the reason that people did it in Scout was because it gave you access to Goblin Skulk to find your suppresses. Exactly. Um, and some other fun, cheeky things like that, but that floated around for a bit and likes to show its face every now and then uh, for giggles. There's also the... Um, Officially now after Skyrim, they'll forever be known as the High Hrothgar decks, but it was really right. the Ring of Imaginary Might, right? So when the Ring of Imaginary Might became available, we had the uh, Sabercat uh, mm -hmm. OTK decks. So um, Swift Strike and Swing for 28. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you know, so we closed beta, there was... There was a few, like, the decks rose and fell, right? And because the community was so small, we were all posting on the Bethesda boards, uh, somebody would come up with a great new deck, and it would take over for a while, you know? And I remember 
Uh, action mage was, was huge for a while, and then orcs were huge, and then orcs were nerfed. And then, uh, and then archer got huge, and uh, I really wanted to play with blood magic lords, so I started running um, all the ramp cards so that I could actually play blood magic lord before I got killed by goblins and stuff. Big and closed beta for a while. And um, right around the time, about two or three weeks after I started playing Scout, uh, some of the ramp cards, um, Thorn Hist Mage, Tree Minder, uh, had some balance changes to them, and the deck got better. And uh, when Open Beta launched a few weeks later, I just kept playing Scout. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I actually, when Open Beta started, and we got that we had spent during closed beta uh, and had our accounts wiped, I just soul trapped every card in my collection and rebuilt my scout deck. <laughs> I mean that that seems fair. Um, it's a fantastic deck, and it was. I remember the first time that I saw your version of it, and I thought to myself, like, that looks really neat. Um, mm -hmm. I was basically free to play for many, many months when I first started, so there was no way that I was building it anytime soon. But I remember saying, like, I really want to build that deck. Um, it's actually really funny when I look back at my new player experience from when everything went to open beta. Like, I got in at the tail end of closed beta, so yeah. I got to kind of play around and see some things, and then I kind of knew, all right, when we go to open beta, these are the, the decks that I want to try to build. So I right. played token spell sword like everybody did because it was cheap and that's what i hit legend with the very first time um that's what got me into content creation but yep. secretly my goal was actually always <laughs> to play ramp scout and pilfer monk absolutely and the truth is i didn't play ramp scout until like three or four months after i had started because i yeah. just was not opening the stuff to go along with it it took me months before i opened my first hiss mage and yeah. I didn't play Pilfer Monk until 10 months into playing the game because I legitimately never opened a Master of Thieves. And at that point, I was like, it's just a sign. Like, if I'm not, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been playing this game for 10 months. I've never opened a Master of Thieves. Clearly, they don't want me to play this deck. Um, that's actually how I feel. So, like, the deck I really want to play right now is uh, Doomcrag Warrior. Um, I've, wanted oh, to, yeah. I've wanted to play it for, like, four or five months. Mm -hmm. I think that the art type is cool. Um, I don't, you know, I can't really speak to how it performs because I've only played against it. I haven't played it personally, but it looks fun and it looks neat. But I own zero Doomcrag Vampires. It is the only legend that I've never opened from Corsa, and I feel the same way. Like at this point, um, mm -hmm. the universe doesn't want me to play that deck, and so I just keep not crafting Doomcrag Vampires. I'm glad you mentioned Doomcrag Warrior because I. Last week on the on the on the podcast, I mentioned that I thought that there was an un, one of the great unplayed decks right now was was a ramp warrior deck using rage and uh, ping effects along with lethal creatures, and that's exactly what we've seen rise up this week. Yeah, yeah, it does not surprise me at all. So, I think as exciting as reanimating an entire lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So I think that. Uh, you know, we should do what you had kind of talked about in passing with me over the course of the week, which is let's talk about um, the history. We'll call it from like open beta to current about the scout class, right? So, cool. Um, you know, from a time frame standpoint, we had open beta. Uh, open beta kicked off in 
the end of July of 2016. So again, if you're a new player and you don't know that, this game has been going for well over a year now. Um, so when you hear people like Justin or uh, myself or CVH complain like we're crotchety old men and feel like, <laughs> hey, these guys sound really entitled. I don't know why they're whining like it's a brand new game. Well, for us, we've been playing for a long time already. And so when the game launched, the first season lasted like three whole days or something. I legit think it came out like open beta wise on like July 27th or something like that of 2016. So the first real month was August and that was, uh, well, I mean, that was all you. So I'm going to let you certainly talk about it, but you, you popularized Scout. Like it's safe to say. I, uh, like I, like I said, I had been looking for a way to play the big expensive cards. You know, I, I started playing, my first deck was Action Mage and, uh, and that was fun, but, uh, there were just so many expensive creatures that I really wanted to start playing. And, uh, like, like you'd mentioned, Spellsword Tokens was everywhere at the time. So I started playing Charis Reaper in, uh, in Archer and I wanted to play Blood Magic Lord. So I just looked at all the ramp cards and, um, you know, tunnel visioned myself onto, uh, onto building ramp scout when open beta launched so you know i i bought 60 packs i think and then i uh collection <laughs> and um uh built it and then i went ahead and just like a, a week or two into they had the first championship series tournament came down to tvp's uh archer deck mid-range archer and my scout deck in a best of five came down to the final game and Blood Magic Lord actually sealed the deal for me. I, I, I hit the drain life that I needed to win the game that turn. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of differences in that version of the deck than the post-Hiscrove versions. I mean, Hiscrove wasn't a thing for a while. So at the time, your win conditions were Tazcad, which was uh, cheaper it, it, before it got nerfed. Um, you're just beating down with Nahog Leave. The deck transitioned into attacking face much, much more quickly because the whole meta was a little slower. So you didn't have to uh, spend as much time stabilizing. I mean, uh, Venom Tongue, we just saw right there, was in the deck uh, as another ramp source. And you uh, you just look to win with Odaving, Blood Magic Lord, Blood Magic Spells, Tazcad. Yeah, and, uh, and like that. I was going to say, early on, a lot of people probably don't even like ever think this card was playable. But I remember the card I probably lost to the most was Black Marsh Warden. Like, it was considered yeah. a staple. It wasn't like absolutely. a three of, but it was absolutely considered a staple of Scout back in the day. And it's so interesting how, like, deck lists evolve over mm -hmm. time and how things, like, shift. Because now, yeah. like, you look at it and you, like, right. can barely justify including it, right? Like, it's a four-cost card that dies to Firebolt, but right. it was everywhere at the time. Yeah, uh, Black Marsh Warden was a, is a good way to sort of sum up how the deck was a uh, strange deck that exploded, uh, you know, as you got to the late game. Uh, but using stuff like Black Marsh Warden, you were able to, you know, create multiple bodies. And even if you got, you know, one trigger on it at the end of your turn, you usually are getting enough value. The deck didn't draw very many cards back then. I mean, it didn't have access to reanimation or Eclipse Baroness or anything like that. So you were looking for any way to squeeze out value with uh, stuff like... <clears throat> Murkwater Witch and Leaf Lurker. You know, you also had, um, like, I'll, I'll be honest, like, I used to run uh, Deadly Draugr in that deck as a way to stabilize in the early game because, you know, there was no Dark Guardian. Um, 
we were all new to the game, and so the deck is weaker than optimized versions of it were. But the, that first version of Ramp Scout stayed pretty popular then um, until Control Mage rose up. And I, I you know, you want to talk a little bit about what that did to, <laughs> did the <to> Scout? <laughs> well, um, the original Scout, uh, if you're new, did not have Hisgrove. Right. Um, it did not have Eclipse Baroness, as you said. It did not have Soul Tear. It did not have Skeletal Dragon. Um, yep. In fact, the biggest weakness of that deck period was its quality lack of card draw. The only things that it really ran were Ungolem, and then you had to like draw into your guys, maybe a couple of Shadow Shifts, and then your Thieves Guild recruits. And then that was kind of it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the deck... It's, it's interesting. I see things pop up all the time now about how... People will say, like, you know, Ramp Scout is a control deck. No, it's a mid-range deck, and there's this argument. And I think that the people who say it's a mid-range deck just remember the way it used to be played, and they they adopted that play style, and so they continue to play it that way. Like, right now, the Alter Shout version of Scout that exists as we know it today, post-Heroes of Skyrim, I would say is probably closer to a control deck, right? You're utilizing your Drain Vitalities to control the board, your Shear Points to control the board... Um, it, it's very much a, like, late game control style deck, but your version and the early versions were very much a mid-range deck. They just came online at seven. Like, seven was the magic number. You played ramp to race to seven Magicka, and then you won with things like Black Marsh Warden. You won with things like Preserver of the Root, right? Like, once you hit seven your fatties were online and then you immediately just started, you know, outvaluing your opponent and trading face and control mage at the time, because scout didn't have the good card draw that it did, uh, actually just thumped on scout because you came online at seven, but they came online with Dawn's wrath at eight and Manticora at 10. And at the time, they had more, there were more answers than there were threats. They had more answers than there were threats uh, they had better card draw because Elusive Schemer was uh, rampant, and they had all of the pre-nerfed versions of the cards that were in Control Mage. So if you're, again, new, um, Manticora used to be able to kill something in one lane and guard a- another one, right? It did not kill something in the same lane. Uh, Elusive Schemer used to be a 4-1 instead of a 3-1, so it was very, very good at trading up while generating value. Um, similarly, the, uh, Shrieking Herpes used to be a 2-2, so they could eat things like your, uh, Thieves Guild Recruit and then still survive at the time, which might not seem like a big deal, but, like, every little bit of advantage mattered, and all of the pre-nerfed Control Mage cards just shut out Scout. They had a far better late game, um, and so it was kind of, like, dead or pushed out, really, until October, right? Right. That's right. That was Histgrove. And that was a moment for Legends, actually. Like, you know, I like to track the growth um, of, uh, of Legends sort of in conjunction with the growth of the channel, um, you know, because YouTube gives you a lot of information about demographics and views and, like, stuff like that. And uh, when Histgrove came out, the game was experiencing, like, its first huge surge of growth that it exper- had experienced in a couple months since open beta release. And it was a great time to play Scout because suddenly Scout had an end game against Control Mage that Control Mage could not beat. And Control Mage had been the dominant force in the meta, the, the defining control deck of the meta anyway, 
um, for quite a while there. And I, I want to throw one last thing out there about the mid-range scout deck that the mid-range ramp scout deck that I had been playing. Part of the reason you were able to get away with that is that there were no decks that were running a lot of prophecy cards. In fact, for the most part, we weren't. None of us were running a lot of prophecy cards in general. Um, it was kind of looked at like it was a community thing, right? Like people who signed up for the Legends beta initially. A lot of them were coming from Hearthstone. Hearthstone has a huge problem with RNG. And so when you're looking at a mechanic that like has, like let's say you put nine nine uh, Prophecy cards in your deck, like, well, you have a 9 in 50 chance when you break a rune to draw a Prophecy card. There was a tendency among the type of players who were coming to the game to not really factor that in as heavily as it's turned out to matter. Yeah. And so there were just, as a result of the nature of the community, we were running a lot less prophecy cards. And so you were able to just beat down with preserver of the root and be pretty confident that you were going to win the game. Uh, but yeah, when Hisgrove came out, um, the deck became, uh, you know, it's, it slowed the deck down. Like you started running, you, you'd see fewer young mammoths and more, uh, more, you know, defensive cards, more mummifies to nullify your opponent's Odiving so that you could survive the turn 15 or whatever it was going to take to beat him down with Leviathans. Yeah. What the are... same... Go ahead, dude. All right. Oh, we totally uh, train crashed there. I was going to say, one of my favorite things to do, like when I'm really nostalgic or bored, is to go back and look at how we assessed things back then, just in general. Because yeah. I remember when Hisgrove got revealed, um, I know that I said it, and I was not the only person, I won't name names, but I was not the only person who <laughs> looked at Hisgrove and legitimately said, 15 Magicka is too much this might get played and it might not. Like, we were borderline on whether Hisgrove was going to be included. Like, it it was one of those, like, hey, like, if you make it to 15 Magicka, then you've probably already won the game anyway. It feels very win-more. Um, right. But that was because, you know, the nature of the game was just so different back then. And, of course, now we know that to be totally not the case. Um, it kind of reminds me of even recently, right? Like, if... We go back and we look at the reactions to Ulfric's house, Carl, and yeah. everybody was saying, and I and I mean it, like I was I was one of the few people I think that was really like stumping for the card after it was revealed. But if you look through the comments on YouTube videos, if you look through the comments on Reddit, uh, on the forums, etc., you'll see a lot of people saying like, "This is strictly worse than Ayla's Huntmate." I'm really disappointed <laughs> that this card isn't going to affect the meta blah 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 right and if you've played defining uh, last season yeah if you've if you've played that card in token crusader um you know and i'm ashamed to admit it but i've put a lot of games on token crusader lately it is <laughs> not at all worse than a-list hunts me um it is fantastic you know i draw two or three cards a game from that um you know the fact that it is a willpower card also matters because of your uh, ally triggers it counts towards imprison like there was all those things that you know were staring us right in the face but there were a lot of people who were saying it was strictly worse than uh huntsmate especially in aggro and then it was likely not going to see much play and his grove was like that right there was with uh -huh. the exception of sower i don't think there's ever been a monthly card that people saw and immediately said like this will for sure be played yeah i i agree and, and Sora is an interesting example, actually, because while a powerful card that did see a ton of play immediately after release, try now, despite being at the same power level as before. Yeah. 
Grove was great. His Grove also um, created enough ramp opportunities in uh, non-scout decks to uh, to start running ramp packages and other things. And uh, being the contrarian that I am, I, I built His Grove ramp and uh, had you know a lot of success with that. And then um, and then proceeded to uh, stop playing scout for a while and built Ramp Sorcerer <laughs> because <laughs> Ramp Scout got popular. <laughs> and Ramp Sorcerer could go bigger and dumber, which is what I ended up naming the deck. Uh, you could go over the top of Ramp Scout by running um, uh, Supreme Atromancer and uh, Nakreen uh, and uh, uh, the three the three cost blue action that sacrifices a creature to someone that costs two more. So you were able to do bigger things than Scout does, and that was my answer to how to beat Scout. Yeah, that that worked for a bit. Um, before we continue on with the old history of Scout, I do also want to say real quick, because you mentioned uh, the nerf that shall not be named, uh, not green. I remember right, right. the backlash, and I remember all of the things that people said when that card got the nerf, right? Um, for mm -hmm. many, many months, it was in many ways one of the very first like real memes for the community because, you know, it got nerfed and at the time we saw no real reason why. Like we knew that Control Mage was strong, but like nobody would have said it's strong because of Nakreen. It had great plays, but like we looked right. at it and we were just like, I don't understand why this got hit so hard. Why can't it just like reduce by 10 or reduce by 8? Um, but now... Mm -hmm. You know, now that we have the same info that the developers likely had all that time ago, because we knew the Skyrim expansion was coming a long time ago from right. data, data mined info, right? Right, um, right. So, you know, it existed back then when they made that nerf. Um, I can't imagine a world where Nakreen in the old form existed and Alduin as he exists right now existed, right? Like right. that... Point. That just kind of, like, blows my mind to even think about, holy cow, we could have been seeing, like, turn eight complete board wipes, broken nonsense. Um, mm -hmm. Even if it was a reduction, like, a lot of people push for, right? They were saying, like, well, just, you know, if the concern is, you know, playing Odaving for free, then just reduce it by ten or reduce it by whatever. Keep the card right. intact. And... Again, knowing what we know about Alduin now, I don't think that would have been enough, right? And I'm sure that they tested it internally... Right came to the same mm. conclusion um it's yeah. one of those times where we had to put our faith in direwolf digital and you know despite them doing things that we frequently scratch our heads with the truth is uh more often than that they get it right no i totally agree when i when i met the guys at direwolf actually we kind of we talked about Nakreen for a while actually because Nakreen is still to this day the only card I don't own and then now it's just sort of I think it's funny so I, I soul trap it when I get it but I mean let's let's be fair for a second it's totally unplayable it's <laughs> but uh um I uh I was talking about that and and they they were all pretty like they feel kind of guilty about it it seemed but they, they they basically said like look there's no way like th that we can keep this card around it breaks too many things Yeah, I even even current Nakreen makes me nervous, if I'm being honest, because one of the effects that I desperately want in the game is what I call hand extension. So if you've ever played Magic the Gathering, there are certain effects where you are allowed to draw one or multiple cards and then take cards from your hand and put them back on top of your deck. And 
my very first like ever episode of the forge the rework for somerset orrery that i had suggested was to give that effect right i said hey this thing costs six it's a straight tempo loss you know it shouldn't just you know shuffle and redraw things like it should have a cool effect right so my pitch was on activation it should draw a card and then let you choose a card in your hand to put back on top of your deck because that yeah. could set up prophecies uh that could let you bluff right that's something that's i think more prevalent in card games where you're playing like across the table from somebody you know uh, yeah. magic or in poker and things like that but in digital card games it's typically much harder to bluff somebody but that card like, you could activate it if you don't have a prophecy in your hand, but now your opponent's going, all right, did he just put a javelin on top? Um, I like that mechanic. I'd love to see it in this game, but I think that the existence of Nakreen as he is right now is still something that would prevent that, right? Like, they would have to rework him again because of his, like, I get to play whatever I put on top of my deck for free clause. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um... I really, you know, I, I don't know why it's never occurred to me until now, but the ability to play a brainstorm type card in Legends has so much more power than I had ever given it credit for because of the ability to put prophecies on top of your deck. That's a really cool idea. Not just even prophecies, but think about like guaranteeing your ally trigger, right? Like you could run 50 50 decks mm -hmm. and not have to worry as much about your color count, but still right. reliably get triggers. Like there's so many cool things that would come from that hand extension style of effect. So yes, yeah. it is it is powerful, right? That's why I think that if you rework something like Orrery, then it's, you know, it's a six cost card and it's a tempo loss, but then you offset it by the potential power of it. I think that would be fair, but it is an effect that I desperately wish was in the game because of the strategy it would introduce, you know? Um, too, when you were mentioning uh, the bluffing thing, I mean, I as a guy who just loves poker, when I would play Magic, I used to, uh, I do, I would do that move where like, you put, you you put your hands on your lands, one hand yeah. on your lands, one your other hand in your hand when you're you're thinking about tap, you know, make it look like you're gonna, you might react respond to their spell, and when in truth like your hand is just a bunch of swamps or something. <laughs> yeah, I like, or I like that. people started to catch on that. So my other one when I was playing blue often a lot was like I would leave my lands open or whatever, and then they would they would play something and I'd say hold on right like like i might right, respond right, right. and i would kind of like lean back in my chair and kind of stare at my hand a bit right like yeah, i was thinking it over because like the land like the minute you like almost touched your your lands like that started to give it away i think to people like okay that's just a bluff so you had to get creative but it absolutely yeah. was like that matters a lot in physical card games um if you've never played like magic in person i legit won a game at a tournament once by accident through a bluff justin um <laughs> But no joke, this was uh, Let's hear it. Let's hear the story. This this was like a pre-release sealed event tournament, right? And I mm -hmm. I swing, right? And I get this guy to where like if I could just get one more turn, I got guaranteed lethal, but um I don't have like any response to his board, like whatsoever, right? Um what oh, so bluffing, right? So one of the tactics in magic is if you've already got enough lands where you have like capped yourself pretty hard in your deck, it's actually pretty common if you draw more lands to just keep them in your hand. Of course. Of right? Course. So like I was doing that. I had two lands in my hand, no other effects, nothing, right? Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, I, I get him in position where I can swing for lethal because I had flying, uh, you know, the next turn, um, and I pass the turn, right? Um, he untaps, uh, draws his card, and immediately starts turning all of his creatures sideways, right? So I'm like, okay, like, he's he's got the lethal. And so I say, in response, and I shit you not, I wasn't even trying to be cheeky. The words that were about to come out of my mouth were, in response, I concede. But I, I said, in response, and he goes, wait. And then he looks at the board, and he starts doing, like, some mental math, right? Yeah. I don't know yeah. what he was doing, but he's doing mental math. And he pulls yeah. pulls back two of his creatures, and he goes, all right, I declare these as attackers. And I go, <laughs> okay, no blocks, right? Like, and he, he doesn't have anything, and I just win, like, by accident. So, it, like, bluffing is definitely something that matters, and it just doesn't yeah. in, the, in the digital, like, realistically, right? Like, it just doesn't matter in the digital format as much, because you're not, you're not reading body language, you're not... Um, doing all of those things that you can get away with when you're sitting across the table from somebody. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. That's a great story. I, uh, I, I like that part of it, too. I mean, that was always part of my fun in Magic, too. Like, uh, or Magic, I'm sorry, in Poker, was, you know, you don't, you don't have to be a ton of math skills to be good at Poker. What you really need to do is look like you're you know doing something you're not actually doing and you just don't have the opportunity in legends but introducing a bluff mechanic like manipulating the top of your library or your top top of your library top of your deck is a way you could introduce that and i think that would be a lot of fun i like that yeah i think it would be cool if it, there was something like that or even just mechanics that like purposefully spread misinformation right, right. like i agree um, I already did like one version of my Eek the Liar for my Forge series where I had proposed something, but the more I was thinking about it, like, how cool would it be if my Eek was just like a unique legend and every, like, if every time that you had any effect that would reveal a card to your opponent, right? Like maybe you put in like a, like a small cycle of cards that are like reveal a card in your hand to your opponent to do something, right? You're trading information for uh, a bonus. How cool would it be if Mayik said, while he's in your deck, anytime you reveal a card to your opponent, show Mayik instead? Mm -hmm. You know? Oh, I like that a lot. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's just like, that's, that's you don't know, does he really have yeah. Mayik? Does he not? Like, I I love, I love uh, cool stuff that would... only do in digital card games, and I, I think we need more of that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Eternal's really good at doing things that you can only do in digital card games. And I think that what we saw in Heroes of Skyrim was some of the ideas that I've seen in Eternal, like buffing cards that are still in your deck, giving them keywords and stuff like that. Those are things that have been done in Eternal for a while. Uh, they're pretty good about putting cards on top of your deck as well. Um, so I would not be surprised if in the next expansion or two we got mechanics like that. Because it seems like some of that stuff, you know, because Direwolf makes both games, some of those good ideas then carry over to the bigger property. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of hope that we see it too, as long as it's, uh, you know, the right way. I think that, you know, the Direwolf, you know, right or wrong, caught a lot of flack for Echo and for Commander. Yeah. Um, probably because for much of the player base, that was their first introduction to effects like those. Like, we didn't have Warcry for... Right. exactly, uh, exactly you know, people to digest the way that you already had it in Eternal, right? So I think or that, Echo. Yeah. So I think that that's part of the reason that the, the negative, <laughs> the negative outcry occurred, but I would like to yeah. see more of those effects. Anytime that you can take advantage of the medium, I'm personally a big fan. So 
this this tangent brought to you by Dex Not Ramp Scout. We should probably finish that train of thought. That's all right. It's a good show, man. It's a good show. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where were we? We were talking about uh, all right. Ramp Scout hit Hisgrove era, right, and then started to become right. more and more late game install. And the, so, like the next thing that like really affected Scout as a class probably at that point was Madhouse, which would have been December. Uh, and I say that right. just because that's when Mimic came out. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, like you had mentioned. Yeah, Mimic introduced a uh, and and I got to give a lot of credit to Dazer here, the streamer. Mimic introduced a new deck to the Scout uh, Pantheon, and that was Mimic Scout. Uh, there are a lot of um, with keywords that uh, weren't we're seeing fringe play if they were seeing play in Scout. I mean, cards like Giant Bat, which of course now is in a lot of Scout decks, but um, cards like Giant Bat, cards like um, the three-two Lethal Prophecy Spider. Um, and even the, so a couple of purple cards with Ward, the Ramps card or Ramp Scout cards, and because Mimic looks at the top five cards of your deck and grabs all the keywords off of them and puts them onto it, uh, you were, you know, faced with a deck that had the potential of the, the most incredibly explosive turn six play of like a Charge Guard Drain, uh, you know, Ward, Ward Mimic, and, they, and the way that he built the deck, it was not super unrealistic that it was going to have three or four keywords every time he played it. And uh, the deck, you know, it sort of exploded at first because it was something different to do with Scout, and Scout had been a popular class because of uh, the history of Ramp Scout, and people, you know, were familiar with the deck. It was, uh, you know, something people knew about. And uh, But the opportunity to play a different kind of Scout that could kind of throw your opponent for a loop when they saw your early game had featured some similar cards, but then exploded into this true mid-range deck uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Um, again, like I said, the days are for that. But that deck was all over the place for a while. And Illusory Mimic, kind of like a lot of the cards in the Madhouse collection, did a really good job of creating a brand new archetype with a single card. I mean, that's how powerful Illusory Mimic could be in that deck. But what it also hinted at was the fact that there are you know, a lot of strong mid-range cards in these colors that aren't played a whole lot necessarily because of the popularity of Ramp Scout as the, like, the default option for playing Scout. Um, and I think that a lot of the uh, ideas that went into that deck are seeing uh, a second life now in, uh, in the mid-range Scout deck of today. Yeah, I would say that's fair. I mean, it was definitely, you know, it was a mid-range deck that just focused on the value from keywords, right? Like other mid-range decks in the past had either focused on stats um, or let's like let's be honest, just ward as a keyword, right? Sorcerer was kind of the you know perfect combination of both. Um, it was and in, in many ways still has the potential to be, but it was for a long, long time like the mid-range deck. So it was nice yeah. when, when Scout kind of got those tools. Um, Madhouse. Yeah, I mean, mid mid-range Sorcerer, I think owes a lot of its success and long-term popularity, like the run it had this this winter and spring, to the fact that so many of its creatures were so resistant to the removal in Control Mage, which was for a long time a really popular deck. You know, Firestorm, Ice Storm, Firebolt, these cards. Even like uh, trading with Harpies was a lot less, uh, a lot less successful against uh, mid-range Sorcerer than it was against any other deck. 
yeah um madhouse was interesting because it for being as small as it was it introduced a lot of new art types and it's it's interesting to me because when i think about um heroes of skyrim fall of the dark brotherhood right those sets certainly introduced new cards they certainly introduced uh, a lot of quality cards that see play today but the like the combination of the two of those i don't think spawned nearly as many decks as madhouse did just like on its own right like orcs were played prior but like they without stone shard like they did not have any sort of relevancy at all right not since closed beta really Exactly. Um, so then we also got like the item sorcerer because a gardener and we got altar uh, assassin mm-hmm. and altar you know monk and uh now yep. you know altar mage and so forth coming out of that um and i'm gonna go ahead and say because i know that it was kind of done a little bit before but uh similar to orcs the wisp mother otk deck wasn't like realistically viable until madhouse because of uh merchant's camel as well uh, that's that, right that increased the consistency a ton right. um then you have swindler's oh, market decks even close call and altar of despair were used in wisp mother otk decks sometimes yeah so like swindler's decks um mm-hmm. like there were so many things that spawned from that tiny thing and then you know skyrim has fantastic cards in it and you know, it certainly spawned, like, dragon decks and shout decks, both of which are, like, have been scout, right? Like, if there's been dragon scout, there's been shout scout. Um, but, like, ultimately, it was also still just a different flavor of ramp scout. Similar right. with Fall of the Dark Brotherhood, like, we got Unstoppable Rage Archer, but let's be honest, like, it was still mid-range Archer, and you just kind of shoehorned a couple more pieces into it. Um, right. Madhouse, like, for being as small as it was, was so well designed, and I would really like to see something like that again, I think. I, I totally agree. I really hope that the next expansion is a smaller one with a, you know, not that there weren't a smaller one with no filler cards. I just want a handful of cards that inspire me to build totally new decks, as opposed to streamlining, you know, decks that we already have. You know, I remember I, last week we talked about how... Um, when we were talking about the progression of the meta, we were one of the questions we posed were whether or not it was possible that over time, as the card pool increases, the meta will actually, uh, sl- you know, become slimmer in terms of like playable tier one decks because you're no longer forced to run just 35 cards you would always run and then 15 kind of filler flex cards. You have 50 cards that are best in slot, right? And um, the opportunity to uh, to you know, upgrade cards you didn't want to be running in your in your old ramp scout deck or your old whatever deck. Uh, when Heroes of Skyrim came out, you know you just you just erased those crappier cards, and the decks that had the best fifty then were a lot more likely to win because you weren't running those flex cards. Um, I would love to see a small set of cards that gives you the opportunity to just build something completely different. Yeah, I. I was kind of thinking about the card release cycle, right? So last week on the podcast, I had kind of briefly touched on how I think we are due for an influx of new cards soon. 
just based on we had Madhouse in December, uh, Fall of the Dark Brotherhood was in March, Here's a Skyrim was late June, right? So now as we're rolling into September, I it wouldn't shock me if like late September, early October, we get some sort of announcement. Might not even be like the release, right? But like some sort of announcement of something. Um, I would probably wager it's going to be another story content style mission. Um, yeah. You know, like if I was a betting man, I would say it's going to be Dawnguard themed probably to go with Skyrim fill in the stuff that was obviously left out and be similar to the fall of the dark brotherhood. Right. But how cool would it be if like every year we got kind of like at least one madhouse, you know what That'd I mean? Like I know that it's smaller, but if, it, if the, you know, density of the cards is small, but the impact is high, I'm totally okay with that. Right. Like give me one just solid, build around like and i like the way they did madhouse too like on the one hand it's kind of rough on new players if they really want to play those archetypes that they have to fork over you know the gold or the money you know that's kind yeah. of a bummer but it's nice that like you unlock it and you immediately have all of the the build around cards as well right. so like from that standpoint uh, i dig it and i would like to see at least once a year we get something like that i totally agree and, 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 you know, you're right, in some respects it can be rough on the new players, but on the other hand, with the advent of Twitch drops, I mean, 1,500 gold is not much, right? And it, it's also, you know, essentially, as, like, as far as the investment goes in buying Heroes of Skyrim packs versus the investment it takes to get a hold of the Madhouse collection, you know, it's, uh, it's $10, $15 or whatever, and you're going to have the whole set, wherein you could spend hundreds of dollars on Heroes of Skyrim cards to not get the whole set. Uh, yeah, that is, that is true. I, I haven't spent hundreds of dollars, but um, I also still don't have a set, so as somebody who plays as often as I do, I think that says a lot in and of itself. I don't have a full core set yet, though, and I'm not even soul-trapping Nocreens. I'm just unlucky in my openings. Right, right. <laughs> I do have a full core set, I just don't have Nocreen. I don't really yeah. count him anymore. He's a, he's a bonus card that you can own if you'd, if you'd like. <laughs> Actually, a quick aside, man. I had to craft for that ladies' night video. I had to craft two Gerald Foragers because it turns out you don't get those in packs, and you only get one from the starter decks. So I actually had to craft two Gerald Foragers. Um, legit, not even joking. Um, I have crafted all of those cards that you only get from the story thing because it drove me nuts in my collection not having three ofs. So not <laughs> I. I own three Scuttlers. I own three Gerald Foragers. Um, what is it? Hold on, let me go look. Morthal Watchmen or whatever. Yeah, Morthal Watchmen. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I went and crafted them all, like, really early on. Now, I don't own premium versions yet. Like, that's the next step, but... Right. I'd be curious. I mean, I wonder... I'd love to see from Direwolf the, the stats on how many people own premium Gerald Foragers. I mean, if... If you want, I'll go craft some right now. <laughs> I would love to watch that happen, actually. If you wouldn't mind just crafting a single premium Gerald Forager. I need to see this animation. I think that the audience deserves this. I gotta find it first. Oh yeah, here we go. I'm excited about this. Do they even have a premium version? Oh, they do. Let's see. It should have the most amazing art ever. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. And hey, the clouds are moving in the back. That's better than nice. some. The berries shine was paid to do this 
ladies and gentlemen, is a Gerald Forager in all her dolled up best oh. glorious just, just so night clear, out on the town. I, I now own uh, a playset just because I couldn't just have one. And we're gonna soul. <laughs> That's awesome. We're gonna soul trap the other ones. So now I just own premium Gerald Foragers. In the premium version, the Schnozberries look like Schnozberries. That's oh. awesome. So, uh, <laughs> wrapping it up. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, I feel good about that. I feel really good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrapping it up. Um, so we had Madhouse, and that right. gave us like mid-range scout, or at least a taste of it. And then we had Follow the Dark Brotherhood. And that changed scout because of the introduction of Eclipse Baroness. Yeah, it was a pretty significant switch. I mean, Eclipse Baroness and Dark Brotherhood let you cut... You know, you, you there were versions of Scout that were running the 3-3 Prophecy 3-3 three, three, uh, for 3 Guard Green Creature um, fits so nicely into the early defensive game that Scout was looking for. And then Eclipse Baroness gave it, you know, some late-game staying power to really crush further crush um you know the, the control decks that it's sort of the control mage deck had kind of regained some popularity when his grove was nerfed um by triggering at the beginning of the turn it meant that mage had a counterplay if they were pocketing a uh, a vicious dreg and it also meant that uh control spell sword now with its edict of azuras and black sap protector i'm sorry black sap protector that's the card i was just thinking of uh in shadowfen priest were, were able to hit your hist groves as well eclipse baroness gave you a ton a ton of uh draw power and staying potential against those decks yeah i mean that's kind of the reason that i was mentioning baroness uh, Dark Guardian was certainly a welcome addition to Scout, but for me, I think that that is the moment where Scout like reasserted itself over Control Mage, right? Um, right. It didn't have many card draw tools before, and it went from like not having many to immediately having like way more. Um, right. Even if you Miract a Baroness it still wasn't enough to like outdraw scout um right. it was baroness was so good in the control archetype so it's interesting scout definitely got the tools to beat control mage when fall of the dark brotherhood hit but it wasn't even the greediest deck like we had that weird like two week period where like control mage was you know, popular before the release. And then it got kind of pushed out a little bit by Scout running Baroness. And then uh -huh. Scout got pushed out by Control Monk because that ended up being the greediest of the options. Exactly. Um, you could run all of the best late game cards in the game at the time. Yeah. So, like, Scout's mini dominance didn't last long, but it, it set right. the precedent for, okay this like has the potential to like beat out the other ones and then of course here's a skyrim launched and we are where we are today and because of uh the tools that endurance got um now in you know scout there are so many more ways to generate card advantage that like not even the greed of late game control monk can keep up because late game yeah. control monk was all about like 
you win the best one for one trades or in right. some cases two for ones with like a dawn's wrath or something and then you you drew with baroness um scout yeah. still outdraws you there right like yeah between um baroness skeletal dragon and uh soul terror and shout i mean you just you generate something and parthenax you generate something approaching infinite value in the late game yeah it's and of that deck of, of the scout ramp deck now pushing out the other control decks you're finding the meta full of decks that are trying to beat scout and unfortunately decks that beat scout are uh your aggressive decks uh, yeah, I mean, basically, right now, you either have to be hyper-aggressive or you have to have really good tempo options. Um, right, right. You know, believe it or not, I actually still think that things like Assassin, for example, are fine against Scout, even with the nerf to Supreme Atromancer. Um, yeah. More often than not, when I was beating Scout, I was beating Scout not because of Supreme Atromancer, and if I was playing Supreme Atromancer, it was a glorified lightning bolt. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. So... Really, it's, uh, you know, can you snowball your board? Because right. unless they run, unless they hit their their upgraded Drain Vitalities and they run Giant Snakes and they hit their, like, Red Bramon and into Odevang, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen, because it does, right? Like, Scout can do ridiculous things. But yeah. unless they do that, like, you just win if you can snowball against them. And so that's why, you know, unfortunately we are where we are um because right. the deck is is popular um it's popular because like who doesn't like to play big things right um i don't blame anybody for wanting to play scout uh yeah. and it's it's also you know pretty unique in uh digital card games you know i play several and it's it has a feel unlike uh any other really i'd have to say yeah i think for me the the difference is noticed because the combat is different here. Um, yeah. And because of the uh, additional, like, graveyard mechanics. And I don't know, like, I mean, you're right. It definitely feels different here. Like, I've played ramp decks before in Magic. Um, my second favorite deck to play in Standard ever was uh, Deathcloud Kakusho. So yeah. back when oh. <laughs> back when Kamigawa was, yeah. uh, you know, that was in standard the the first Kamigawa because I think they went back or whatever. But um, I played a deck that's entire purpose was to go like turn two Sakura Tribe Elder, turn four, um, God his name is escaping me at the moment. But essentially it was a four drop two two that also fetched a land from your deck and when he died you would draw a card. Um, he's an artifact. Oh yeah, Dude. solemn, solemn, so, yeah, yeah, solemn, similar. I just couldn't. I could picture the art, but I couldn't think of the name. So, like yeah, the several, goal, several. the the best curve was like uh, Ninja Turtle into the Golem, and then on turn uh, on the following turn, I would untap, have play my land, have six uh, lands, six mana. Hopefully, mm -hmm. if my opponent is not playing the Mirror, he only has three at that point, and then you would just Death Cloud for three, and. Right, right. Your opponent would have no creatures, because there's no way they have more than three at that point. No lands. Probably not much of a hand, if any. You yourself would probably not have much of a hand, minus the card you would draw from the Simulacrum. But you would have three more lands than them, right? So yep. they basically are stuck playing draw go. 
and you get to play whatever else you want for the rest of the game and it was horribly unfun to play against but i've said several times i was that guy in magic i loved those <laughs> kinds of strategies um the, and guy, then, the guy who drafts moxes in uh armageddon yeah <laughs> in cube it, draft yeah absolutely right <laughs> like i was that guy so uh, and then Kakusho was your backup plan, right? Like, if you didn't draw your Death Cloud, then you were hoping to go 2, 4, 6 into Kakusho because he was just crazy good value at the time. Um, but yeah, so, like, even when you play that kind of ramp-style game, or even if you're playing, like, uh, you know, the Titan ramp decks or things like that, it doesn't feel the same in Magic as it does here. And I think it partially doesn't because it's not got the like linear progression of the resources right yeah like in magic um ramping feels you don't really play ramp in magic i mean you do ramp because you want to play big things but it, in many cases especially in like standard formats you play ramp because of consistency reasons right like you're trying to thin your deck out and you're trying to ensure that you can pull right. cards period um right yeah no i totally agree with you um, I remember in, um, when I got out of prison, I started watching old channel fireball videos to see what standards were like over the years. And, um, <laughs> because, you know, I didn't really know what was going on in magic and I really was, was curious about the history. And I remember watching videos of, um, when Doran, uh, was in standard, there was an Abzan deck. I mean, it wasn't Abzan at the time, but white, black, uh, green. It was ramping into things like Cloud Thresher and yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And that's the deck, that actually, the only deck in Magic history I can think of that reminds me of the Scout Ramp deck, what that feels like. Um, a long ways. I would love to see, in the future, you know, if we're talking about what we'd like to see future Scout decks look like, I, I know that not every color can be all things to all people, but I, I'd love to see... Uh, a tempo aggressive scout deck, maybe maybe just a, a few more cards for a, a self silent scout to be a thing, um, or a zero drop that makes Goblin Skulk as an aggressive card or a tempo card in scout more more appealing instead of just curse and goblins. Um, the uh, you know the opportunity for some sort of in flavor in in the color pie type situation board clearing scout so that you could run. Uh, a true control deck type scout that's not just ramping into creatures. You know, a deck that forgoes ramp for uh, board control. Um, forgoes guards for board control with removal. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things you can do with a scout. Uh, I'd love to see Argonian Tribal supported. I think that could be a place where you could get a tempo deck or a, a uh, aggressive deck in scout and still be sort of on flavor. Uh, what about you? I mean, I'd love to see Argonian Tribal um i don't know what theme you'd go with i mean typically argonians are kind of like a weird mix right now right like with khajiit you know like okay like their thing's probably pilfer not that every khajiit does it but it's pretty um yeah. it's pretty you know heavy there right but argonians like they silence things and they some have lethal and some ramp and they like of the races I, in my opinion they kind of have like maybe the worst identity outside of goblins because goblins i mean goblins do a little bit of everything but they just do it cheaply like that is their identity right but like argonians are kind of all over yeah 
yeah, I'd be interested to see, you know, what, what direction they take Argonians in the future. I'm sure we'll see more tribal support as time goes on. Um, you know, where the future of Scout could go. Right now, I mean, if you're going to play Scout, like, it's, you, you know, you're going to play the Thorn Hist Mage, right? And that leads you towards a certain idea because you have this powerful card that's giving you a certain sort of uh, situation on the board. And uh, it, it causes you to play things like the Altar decks, the Shout decks, the uh, the Ramp decks, right? But I'd like to right. see a compelling reason to not run Thornhiss Mage and Scout, for instance. Yeah, I think part of it is Thornhiss Mage is just as good as it is. Like, even without a Ramp strategy, like, its body and its effect are just good enough by themselves because you're getting you're getting a 3-5 guard so it's nice and defensive but if they don't answer it like it's it can go on offense pretty quickly right like because it's right. growing in power every turn so i think that yeah. in many ways like it almost does too much right like it fills too many roles and i think that's why like people feel compelled or almost required to play it, and then the minute you throw that in, you're like, well, I might as well throw in the other ramp stuff, and then uh -huh. down the rabbit hole you go. It leads you down. It's one of the few class-specific cards that sort of really encourages a certain deck. Um, you know, Warrior sort of had that going on with the Orc cards, but, uh, you know, the addition of the um, Sower and of uh, the card that buffs... A creature and a weapon in your hand i think do a good job of moving you in other potential directions in warrior scouts never really had a card like that yeah i think that's fair this the scouts report i guess you know kind of encourages a sort of control deck that doesn't exist i mean and, and scouts report despite being an incredibly powerful card in this game and one of the few effects like that in the game doesn't uh doesn't see play in most scout lists yeah because there's just too many better things um, like why you're not looking for card quality because every deck in your you know every card in your deck is already of the highest quality <laughs> right <laughs> i think that uh now would be an opportune time for us to shift to our second plan topic because uh, we are like we do starting to run a little bit over because we're that's cool long-winded and fun um so the other thing that we wanted to talk about was the uh, recent announcement of the tournaments for Europe, right? So the, the tournament scene has been a hot topic in the community um, for a while now. Um, I mean, it's, it's always been a topic, but I think the announcements of the Gwent Pro League has really ramped up the talks about, you know, what's our tournament scene going to be like? When are we going to do these things? Um, again, if you're a new player, it might seem like, hey, um, you know, let's take our time here, guys. But for us who have been playing for, you know, well over a year now, to us it feels like, hey, we're already further along than Gwent, but we're still behind them. So um, it's right. been a hot topic. Um, have you looked at the format for the European, like, league, if you will, at all, by chance? You know what? I haven't, but I can, I'm going to pull it up here real quick. Um, I was I was really surprised. It seemed like the announcement came out of nowhere, you know. Um, and I have to admit, it's not what I expected either. Yeah, it's certainly not what I expected. Um, and it's interesting to me that, like, 
one, the way that it was announced, like people found the tournament posting before Bethesda made their announcement, right? So they right. were kind of already doing damage control on um, trying to answer questions before they'd even had the chance to frame their message. And then two, right. it's interesting because when they finally did have the opportunity to frame their message, they used like some pretty curious phrases, right? Like, we want to take your your feedback, even though we've already been giving feedback for quite some time about like uh, what we would like to see out of the tournament scene. And obviously, there are some fantastic community ran tournaments. So, I mean, right. as far as I'm concerned, like you can take that as feedback. They're literally modeling what they would like to see. Um, and then also the fact that they said that they wanted to do it on a small scale first. Um, while I understand that, it's interesting that like you're just going to come out and say that publicly knowing that your competitor just kind of like blew, blew your announcement in many ways out of the water, right? Like, I agree. So, so no, everything was I, I framed weird. I've got the format here, so here's what we're, here's what it is. It's a best of three format. The first pick, higher seed picks first. It says each player can have up to sixteen different decks, but only one deck of each type. Playing more than one deck of a type in a series is unacceptable and punishable by losing one game. Before the match starts, both players choose three different decks one by one. Players use the match chat or match comments to take a screenshot of the end game chat. This, uh, I'm not going to lie, the first two rules already uh, sound kind of amateurish. <laughs> well, not only that, this is why I was asking if you had seen the format, right? So, like, not only that, yeah. but it just, um, it feels in many ways almost, like, needlessly complex, right? Like, mm -hmm. in, in their wording. And I don't understand... Like, every round I'm choosing the decks that I build, right? Yeah. Or bring. So, if there's not even consistency, like, on a round-to-round -round basis, um, it just feels Frustrating, like... too. Like, how am I supposed to come up with 12 different tokens decks? Well, I mean, jo <laughs> jokes, jokes aside, it's frustrating because all of the stuff that would typically go into, like, um, both digital tournament, like, planning and formatting... But then also, like, in-seat tournaments um, right. and that experience goes right out the window uh, with the way that this has been announced, or at least my understanding of it, right? So, like, one, if I'm, if I'm allowed to, like, change decks and do things in between rounds, like, what, like... It's interesting, why, yeah. Like, why even have a deck list at all? You know what I mean? Like, it's literally just, you pick three things and how does my opponent even know that I picked three things that were already in play. It just feels like, hey, this round you're allowed to use up to three different things, but no more than three. Right. Yeah, I would have liked to see, you know, the the, the classic tournament thing where there are, you know, dudes sitting behind a, on a, a desk on a soundstage and other dudes behind them with laptops 20 feet apart staring at each other with headphones, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what I got in my mind for the, the, the tournament scene. That's what I was hoping for. Yeah, I mean, no, I will say though, like I'm glad that the tournament scene is being supported, right? And I, I have to be totally honest with you though, I think that the championship series that J Star and Schwitty and Bradford Lee and Ono have been doing blows this out of the water. Yeah, I mean I think for me personally that that is the concern and also potentially the like like slap in the face sounds like harsh words 
But I honestly can't think of, like, a better analogy, right? Like, alright, let me try to gather, gather my thoughts here and articulate this in a way that doesn't sound, like, ultra-negative. Um, if there's already people that are advocating for a tournament scene, and they have been for a while, right? So, like, you know there's a demand, and you know that yeah. they are working really hard and devoting their own time at creating a positive experience and creating something that is good for, you know, viewership as well as participants, even if yeah. it's not flawless, even if it's not, you know, um, ultra mega super, you know, production quality. It's the best we've got so far for sure. And they're certainly working hard on improving it to, like go okay guys like that's cool but we're gonna try this other thing um we're not gonna like consult you we're not gonna do anything we're just gonna go through this other thing and it'll be a different format uh, we don't even know if it'll be streamed um you know we are gonna give them prize support but like we're also right. gonna say like hey give us feedback um and you know like i said to me like the existence of those community run tournaments already in many ways was feedback that was people saying this is what we would like to see um right. help us make this better and for them to do something that is so wildly different than that is like saying we see your feedback but let's try this other thing to me that's yeah. why i think it feels in many ways almost like a slap in the face right like i i can't i can't disagree with you totally you know i mean and, and i want to comment yum yum writes uh the tournaments from J-Star and Brad are difficult to set for a new player to get involved with. I can kind of see where you're coming from, and I think that that's a... a uh, but it's one that, you know, is sort of the nature of what they're doing, right? It's like, this is for the super-enfranchised players. Um, I think that the ideal tournament seen by Bethesda and Direwolf, I mean, I assume Bethesda would be running this, would be one where it's like, for instance, I haven't played Hearthstone in over a year. I still occasionally tune into Hearthstone tournaments, despite not being familiar with the current cards and stuff, because th they do a good job of explaining the plays. You know, it, you can watch, you know, players you're familiar with or players you're not familiar with and root, with, root for people. It's, it should be in, in Fantasyland, just like tuning into a football game. You know, you don't have to know anything about how to play football to have a good time watching the competition. Uh, this is as far from that as you can get with something that's officially sanctioned. Yeah, and to even kind of piggyback on Yum Yum's comment, I would say... I agree with him. I think that those tournaments are definitely um, not the easiest for a new player to get involved in. Um, but to me, I don't think that that's a reflection necessarily of the format. I think that's a reflection of the manpower and scalability. And that's, oh, why, yeah. that's why I think that it would ultimately have been a, uh, you know, maybe a better route if there was a partnership with those guys or for them to take that formatting, but then expand on it because like you know we have to do things like invitationals because we just simply can't accommodate you know 100 200 300 people they, they just don't have the right. manpower um they don't have the ability to like stream that for uh you know viewers and make that be high quality content they don't have the ability to manage that behind the scenes um you know there's just more of an issue with you know again scalability and their ability to do that then i think the the format itself 
Um, yeah. Similarly, like times, right? Like I know that not everyone can make them. I don't get to play in them very often, which is, you know, kind of a bummer, but it's just because of the way my schedule is. Um, but every right. time I've played in them, I've, I've had a blast and I have felt um, like, hey, I would do this more if they were more accessible, but I also sure. understand why they're not. And so, you know, I think that... Uh, it, I it, hear you. Yeah, I was going to say, if I, anything, I just think that that's more of a reason why they should have done that instead of this other thing. You know, I, I, I've played in four of them. I, I got first place in one and I got knocked out in the third round in three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, finishing on the extremes is how I maintain my consistency as a player. I It's one of those things, too, where it's like, I would feel more inclined to participate if... I mean, I, I guess I gotta be honest, I would feel more inclined to participate more often if I knew that uh, the guys who design the game, make the game, create the game, support the game in its long-term health, were as invested in its success as I am. And I believe that they are. I really believe it, but I don't see it with the tournament scene. Yeah, I mean that's that's a a pretty uh, deep comment, but like I can't refute it. You know what I mean? And I, I think the because they're 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 talk they talk about it. Pete obviously loves the game. Uh, AJ and uh, G staff, you know, they're they're out there doing the they're doing the job, doing the work, but the tournament scene is just non-existent. Yeah, and I think that, you know, one of the things that kind of makes me sad is if I had to guess, right, this is entirely conjecture, I clearly don't have inside information, but I would wager that there are folks at Direwolf Digital that are that committed, but because of, like, the nature of their relationship, right, because Bethesda, I think, has final say, that's why they do you know, streams. This is one of those interesting things to me too. And I just kind of want to like segue to this, um, you know, Gwent and other card games, you know, Hearthstone, etc. they get to do fun things where like, you know, whether it's on YouTube or live streams, they have developers come on and talk about the game. Right. And we don't get yeah. that from Direwolf. And I honestly think it's because Bethesda gets final say in marketing and publishing. Again, I don't know it, but everything that we've ever seen, for the game comes through the Bethesda channel. So in right. many ways, it's like Direwolf does the work that Bethesda requests and it gets sent up the chain and then they word it. But Bethesda doesn't have the expertise to do those developer style talks. And so like there's this weird disconnect, like even small indie games um, like Shardbound. Shardbound's a game that's in a really early alpha, but I really enjoy playing it. Um, and they do like weekly, I might even be bi-weekly now, but they do very regular like developer streams, right? They have people on, they talk about the game. Um, you know, you can ask them questions. They talk about road mapping and design and, um, right. you know, yeah, I mean, very, very Direwolf early. Is... Yeah, I was going to say very, very early Direwolf did it and then they disappeared. Um, but it, they kind of disappeared at the same time that we were starting to see this game like pick up in marketing not that it's ever had like the best marketing campaign but i i again it's entirely inference but everything that i have personally seen it leads me to believe that it's more like bethesda wants to control the message and that creates like this weird uh disconnect yeah. and i i think that there are probably people at direwolf that would love to see a flourishing tournament scene because those guys are a lot of like magic pros, right. right? Like they, they cut their teeth on the tournament scene. That's what they enjoy as well. 
Um, you know, Magic's another example of a game that I don't play anymore that I still enjoy watching tournaments for. You know, you don't have to be a player to. If a good tournament scene can bring in people who are just interested in esports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I do think that there's something to what you're saying about the, uh, the you know, the, the difficulty of being contracted to do the game and then having the marketing be done by another organization. I mean, for I, to be fair, I don't have any idea how that all works, and I wouldn't uh, was you know, in, had some insight into how they're doing it. But I do know that, you know, like Maricon is a, a huge proponent of the game. The guy finishes top 10 legend in addition to being one of the designers of the game. Like he obviously loves it. And uh, everything I've ever heard the guy say suggests that he's a huge fan of this game and really believes in it. But not seeing him being able to talk on Reddit a lot about it or doing, you know, streams and videos and stuff, it's a little, it's a little sad, you know, because I'd love to see the guys who are making the game out there talking about it. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see it as well. And as somebody, you know, who enjoys design, right? Like, there's a reason that I, you know, do the Forge stuff. And I love talking about, um, you know, the way that cards have, like, flavor and function intertwined and so forth. As somebody who, like, adores that side of things, right? Like, that aspect. I yeah. want that from them, right? Like, that would keep me engaged with the game. Um, if that were to be a thing. Yeah, I agree. I mean, not that you and I aren't like some of the most engaged people out there, right? Like, but for the, <laughs> for the slightly less entrenched players, I agree. I mean, and don't get me wrong, I love this game and like, I will continue to play it and make videos for it, whether or not there's ever a tournament scene, just because the community's great. I have a lot of fun playing it, and I have a lot of fun talking to people who are playing it, and I feel like I've made some good friends, you know, like you, uh, that I never would have met because if it wasn't for this game. But I feel like the next logical step in growth is the big esports scene. Yeah, or if not, like, esports, like, maybe, maybe they're okay with just being like you know a, a niche niche however you want to pronounce it right um maybe they're okay with that but like even still you got to do something to give yourself some more visibility like outside of just the the twitch drops you know what i mean um although i mean certainly twitch drops have done wonders for driving traffic on twitch i will give them that like that was a really great move but I, uh, uh, I just I I know there's a next step, and I trust that it will happen. I just want it to happen sooner because I'm impatient. <laughs> I I am equally as impatient. Um, all right, we've put it off long enough, and we are definitely running over. So I think that the the next logical step for us uh, yeah. for tonight's podcast would be to, uh, you know, take some questions, answer them from the chat. Because I have seen yeah, seen people talking, and they've been having fantastic conversations, but uh, haven't been able to participate yet. So we should do that. Oh, anything you guys want to ask us about? Can be about tonight's topics. Can be about uh, things that are on your mind. Suggestions for future topics or future shows. Quick shout out to Nerazuri. Thank you for. Uh, you, I don't know if you saw this, but you are a star in my most recent video. I played against you twice in three games. <laughs> uh, 
right, we got our first question here. It's for you, so I'll read it and you answer it, all right? Charmer, are you freaking out that Bradford Lee is seeing Gwent and ignoring Legends? Uh, I'm, I'm not freaked out at all. Um, the, I mean, the truth is I'm probably... I've been playing it off-stream a bit, trying to re-pick it back up. I played it a ton in the closed beta. I might do, like, a night where I do that and some Shardbound uh, in the near future. But, I'm, I mean, I'm not concerned because, one, it's Brad and, like, he's going to do what he wants to do and whatever makes him happy. And I'm, I'm always going to be happy that other people chase the things that, uh, you know, they are into. But I'm also, I'm not really freaking out because, again, the minute that this has, like, a, a viable tournament scene, I have no doubt that, like, Brad would return, right? Like, he's invested in this game. He enjoys playing this game. He wants it to succeed, um, but he's like me, right? Like I, I love playing games for fun. But what you know, one of the things that draws me to games like this is the fact that I play against people, right? Like it's live competition, yeah. and I want that you know competition um, to to drive me, even if I know that like I'm never gonna be the world champion, right? Like, I love to play Overwatch. I love to play League of Legends. You know, not um, not just because I want to hop on and, like, goof off, but, like, I play the competitive modes of those games as well, even though I know I'm never going to be an eSport person, even though I'm never going to play, uh, you know, in an arena or on a team or whatever the case may be. Like, I just like trying my best and trying to grow as a player and you do that in competition. And so like, I want to do that here as well. And I think Brad's the same way. Um, and just unfortunately right now, Gwent offers a superior experience for that. Yeah, it's a good answer. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we have, um, WebNG is asking, WebNG, first time, long time listener, first time caller writes, how does it feel to be Uncle Pete's number one net decking creator? His first five or so decks were named Justin's XXX. Well, WebNG, I have to tell you, the fact that my XXX is all over Pete's stream makes me really happy. I can't say any more than that without uh, running into FCC violations, but I'm pretty proud of my position as his favorite XXX creator. Oh man, I really just want to to envision Pete Googling Justin XXX and then seeing what comes. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know. You know, you search, if you Google image search for Elder Scrolls Legends Loser, the very first thing that shows up is a picture of me smiling. Yeah. I've just actually a lot of things, a lot of really stupid things. When you Google Elder Scrolls Legends, something, something stupid, uh, come up with pictures of me looking like a dumbass. But no, that's great. I, I think Pete Hines is a really cool dude. Um, it, you know, I think that Elder Scrolls Legends exists almost solely because of him. I think this is a passion project for him. I think this is a guy who loves magic, who loves card games, who loves Elder Scrolls, and I think he made this happen through almost sheer force of will. I mean, that wouldn't surprise me, you know. Um, it's good for him. I mean, like, this is a great game. Another question that you can go ahead and answer, Charm. We got Yum Yum asking, you guys are talking a lot about deck manipulation and former magic stuff. Would you think a card that bounces an enemy creature to the top of their deck is a good mechanic or a good card for this game? Um, I mean, yeah, I think it would be an interesting mechanic that would probably have to be costed 
appropriately and it would certainly be more expensive in a game like this because not only are you removing your creature um, but you're also potentially uh, denying a draw from your opponent and you are certainly if it's not a prophecy creature uh, denying a, a prophecy at that point right so for something like that you're probably looking at it it would need to be costed similarly to arrest right like i know arrest seems like it's overcosted, but really when you think about all the things that arrest does um you know it denies last gasp it could potentially um you know give you passive effects right because it doesn't silence the creature so if like you steal a murkwater shaman you get passive benefits uh etc etc you can blink it and then get control of the creature uh, arrest has all these like um, you know, tangential yet powerful effects tied to it, which is why it's as, as, as expensive as it is. So something that like, you know, removes a creature, denies a draw, you know, prevents a prophecy trigger would definitely be expensive. So. Yeah, I like that. That, you know, what you made me think of is I'd love to see a prophecy card or not a prophecy card. I'm sorry. I'd love to see a red card. Well, yeah, red card with prophecy that when it's, it's summoned deals damage to yourself combine the prophecy mechanic with the afflicted elite mechanic except just to yourself kind of like uh you know there are magic cards hearthstone cards that, that uh, are overstated that deal damage to you when you play them as sort of a drawback i think that would be really interesting with the prophecy mechanic we got another question here zombie hunter 9 by 19 out in the koga pass watch out for traffic on the 105 by the way writes are you concerned about the potential longevity of the elder scrolls legends well, Zombie Hunter, I have to say that I am not concerned about the potential prophecy, uh, the potential longevity of Elder Scrolls Legends. I'm going to be here for the long haul. And the fact that Bethesda is supporting this means that they have money, money, money in the bank to keep this rolling for as long as we're here. And to be honest with you, my numbers are up. They're up like nothing else I've ever seen. Everything is going swimmingly as far as the community goes. And I think that, uh, you know, concerns about the uh, expiration of Elder Scrolls Legends are incredibly premature. Uh, the game is actually doing better than it's ever done as far as my viewership and subscriber numbers go. And uh, because I am a slave to the numbers, that's all I have to say about that. Charmer, same question to you, my friend. So I'm not concerned, but I'm actually going to take a different approach. Um... One, because I don't have the smooth, silky voice of you, but also because uh, I've said this in the past and I think this is a great time for me to reiterate it. I don't think that anybody should ever be concerned with the longevity of a card game. I don't think at all. Not only is it a sunk cost fallacy trap, and if you don't know what that is, I highly encourage you to, to Google it and look into things like the sunk cost fallacy, but just legitimately, right? Whenever I look at my time spent on like any game, um, I just think about what my uh, return on investment is and what I feel comfortable with, right? So if I'm going to, you know, start playing Legends and, you know, let's say I drop like 20 bucks on packs, right? How many hours do I have to play the game for me to feel good about that 20 bucks? That's all I care about. I don't care if I'm going to be, you know, playing the game two years from now. Like, that shouldn't be the deciding factor for me spending 20 bucks when I'm going to spend more than that when I go see, like, It on Sunday. You know what I mean? Um, similarly, if I buy a board game, you know, I'm not thinking to myself, like, gee, how many, you know, 
how many times am I going to play this board game over the next, like, three years or whatever? Like, I've bought board games that I've played once and then just never got around to it again. And I still don't feel bad about buying them because the one time I played it, I had a blast. So, for me, I legitimately think that with card games, um, you know, I see very, very often people are like, I want to invest in this game, but I'm, you know, I'm really worried. Is it going to make it? Is it going to be like in for the long haul. And I think that that is the wrong way to look at uh, any game period, let alone card games. And it's actually that mentality that hurts the growth of games because people are timid. Um, you don't need to get like a year's investment. Uh, you need just like, you know, a certain number of hours. And then even if it's a smaller number of hours, did it increase my enjoyment, right? Like, do I want to grind for a month on free to play? just so that I can maybe play the deck archetype I wanted to play, or do I want to, like, drop 20 bucks so that I can play the deck I wanted to play now, but get, like, 10 or 20 hours out of that deck archetype now, right? So that I wasn't miserable for a month while I grinded for it. So, to me, um, I don't think anybody should be concerned about the longevity of anything, and you should definitely just do what makes you happy because it's your entertainment. Uh, so that that's me. That's a great answer, dude. <laughs> That's a great answer. I totally agree with you. Also, I'm going to go see uh, it on Sunday as well, so let's we'll talk about that. Yeah, um, we're going to see ours, I think, around noon. That's when we have the babysitter lined up. So if you go see it at around noon, uh, well, yeah. it'll be like 11 a.m., I guess, because of the time zone difference for you. I think you're right. – actually, you might be even more hours than that behind me. But either way, if we're at the same time, like we can just text each other, and it'll be like we saw it together. That'd be cool. Um, do you think the giant spider is going to be in it? <laughs> You've seen uh, the original, right? <laughs> I've seen the original. Um, I don't okay. know if the giant spider is going to be in it. Um, I doubt that it's going to be any more true to the books because yeah. like, let's be honest, right? Like they're not going to have the underage orgy. Um, right, 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 right. They're yeah, not going to have, <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. But I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited. I think it'll be, I think it'll be good. I, I just, I really like the director. Uh, I thought the first, uh, it's uh, Fukunawa or Fukunawa, I can never say his name, right? But it's, it's a guy that did uh, first season of True Detective, right? Oh, is it really? Um, okay. I'm like 90% love... certain. Now I'm going to double check, but uh, right. I'm pretty sure that it is. And I loved the like feel. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, while you check, uh, we got another... We got another caller on the. We got another caller on the line. Hayden fifty six asks, "Do you guys think the decks with sixty or more cards will ever be viable? What would you add or change about the game to make it viable, even a little?" Well, let me tell you something, Hayden fifty six. I am not a fan of running any more cards than I have to. I, uh, I'm, you know, I'll be honest. I'm a little under the weather. I'm a little unhealthy as it is, and so running, uh, overextending myself. Uh, is not something I'm really capable of. And in fact, I'm uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that you should be running 50 cards, not 60. That said, a Battle of the Wit style card, like in Magic, where you win the game if you have 250 cards in your deck, um, would be interesting, right? A card that says, you know, summon plus one, plus one if your deck has 70 or more cards in it is definitely something that I would like to see just so it encourages a new, you know, a new type of deck being built. I'm not super concerned about it, though, and... Uh, simply because a deck with 70 or more cards is not going to be competitive, right? Um, the increased variability of your draws is going to make it that much worse. And uh, the bonuses would have to be substantial in order to encourage you to play those types of cards. And I don't know that that's necessarily healthy for the game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's legit on the health. Uh, quick update. 
Uh, Andy Machete's the director. I'm probably slaughtering his last name, but you're probably going to know him from the movie Mama. But Carrie, uh, the guy that I was thinking of, uh, Carrie Fukunaga is the guy who is writing this version, and he's the one who uh, did first season of True Detective, so. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, I think I would love to see more things like, you know, Yarl and have uh, alternate like win conditions but similarly i don't think that they can be overtly too strong because we don't have instance right realistically we don't have that interruption so yeah i, I can agree with that um web and g writes what about if milling strategies become a thing with new cards for example wouldn't running 50 plus cards then be beneficial well web and g milling is been a strategy in Magic the Gathering since the printing of Millstone in the original set of, of Magic Alpha back in 1991, I believe, uh, and I, or maybe 92, but either way, um, it has never been beneficial in Magic to run additional cards in your deck simply to combat Mill. Uh, that said, it could be possible if the correct uh, if the correct Mill cards are printed in Legends, it's possible, but for the most part, I think that Mill is an interesting strategy that I wish was supported, but I don't believe that running additional cards for a single matchup would uh, be worth the trade-off there yeah i don't think that running more cards would be beneficial you would just run instead um cards that help you combat it in different ways so if we actually saw a mill become a strategy uh you would see an uptick in people playing journey uh to sovngarde for example that's a good example yeah that's you a good know? point so i think that I mean, I think that like the the game plan is is fine um, if they do want to support that mechanic as long as they have more cards like Journey where maybe you you know shuffle a couple more cards back in or whatever. Um, you know, I think that that could be a thing. I personally, uh, you know, I was talking with my buddy that I've been playing Magic with for longer than I would care to admit. Um, I was telling him that one of the, my favorite deck cart types in Magic used to be Old Buried Alive. And oh, yeah. that's something that I wish... Like, they're, they're kind of doing it a little bit with uh, some of the reanimation effects and, like, Solter effects. But I wish something like that existed in this game. And it was going to be the subject of one of my Forge videos, but as I started trying to get into editing, it was really involved to try to, like, showcase what I wanted... I really wanted um, basically a card like either like Ashen Ghoul or Undead Gladiator or basically yeah. what I really want is something like Buried Alive that lets you find cards in your deck and put them in the grave. And then while they're in the grave, because we actually can interact with our discard pile in this game, I'd love it if when you clicked on the thing and your list popped out um, and you mm -hmm. were staring at your list of cards, um, there would be like a little icon like also on the name of the card that would pop up or maybe it was just something to let you know that like hey this one matters for a reason and then maybe it's you pay a magic cost maybe it's you pay an, uh, an alternative cost but whatever the case may be uh, you could click on them and interact with them in your discard pile and make them pop back out right so I, like that. I think that would be really interesting because I, I loved like ashen ghouls and things like that um I'd like to see that kind of in this game. I like that. <clears throat> you know, what that, that makes me think of is uh, I've noticed a trend towards red having sort of uh, strength, having sort of um, tech control type answers, right? Garnag was the, the first big one like this, but 
um, uh, you know, Withered Hand Cultists, stuff like that have been sort of uh, the, the red domain of control style cards. I'd like to see a red card printed in the near future that uh, destroys all cards in all, in all discard piles. Yeah, I could see that. Um, I mean, you and I have uh, both in, you know, various YouTube videos talked in the past about how strength in many ways is... Um, it's got like a very specific identity in this game, and one of them is the way that I describe it. Uh, you can't do that. Like, that's what I always say, right? Like, it's um, it's the rule setter. It says, hey, you wanted to do that thing? Sorry, not allowed, right? Like, it, it like almost browbeats you in a way. Uh, you know, Garnag, hey, you want you yep. want Magicka? No, you can't do that. Withered Hand Cultist, oh, you wanted to play Actions? No, you can't do that. Um, it, it's, uh, I agree. It's the, it's the prison control color. Yeah. Um, prison, like like the magic term, actually, not like the place where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Immortal King writes, Dear Charmer, do you think that purple needs any unconditional removal added, or do you feel it is a viable drawback to having decks running heavy purple? Um, I think it's a viable drawback. So... I agree. You know, you can kind of already see a little bit of their magic history bleeding through. Um, you know, the developers, a lot of them are ex-pro magic players or still pro magic players, but um, they they kind of take magic's color pie concept and apply it in this game, and I think it's entirely fine because we can mix and match uh, the you know the attributes. So it's fine for me that endurance doesn't have good removal options because in in my mind they should just have like big creatures and they should have guards and they should have like life gain because they're endurance right they're meant to endure but mm -hmm. not like control right like they're the immovable object in my mind and then you would offset that by pairing it with you know another attribute so in my opinion i don't think that you know, endurance needs to have that. I like that the ones that they do have are like very conditional, right? Like it's either transforming the creature, setting its stats to one, uh, you know, a la lay down arms or things like that. I agree. I, I think you know, just in the game. So let's not uh, let's not go overboard here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, so we'll answer the remaining questions and then. Uh one actually so here we go 10 keel writes justin larson looking forward to future expansions do you think they should be modeled more around the core set very strong unique legendaries and etc or more like skyrim with lots of strong non-unique legendaries commons rares and etc well 10 kyle i think that uh my future expansion dream is actually something we talked about earlier in the show. What I'd like to see is an expansion, a very small expansion full of build-around type cards like the Madhouse Collection. I think that, that would be a healthy and exciting way to diversify the meta without asking players to spend a whole lot of money. Um, next we have uh, WebNG asks, Dear Charmer and Dear Justin, what's your favorite NFL team and why is it better than your counterpart's favorite team? I'll let Charmer go first so I can explain why he's wrong. <laughs> uh, I first started watching football in the early 90s. Um, I mean, I wa probably watched it sooner, but that was the first time I started like realistically paying attention as a young child. Uh, so as a result, I am not a fan of the like local hometown teams like a lot of people. 
uh, I was swayed by what was on television. So for pro football, the first Super Bowl I ever watched was the 92 one. And as such, I am a fan of the Washington Football Club. And they have been horrible ever since. So it doesn't matter what team Justin is a fan of. Uh, you know, it could be uh, a Canadian League team. It's probably better than my Washington Football Club. That is, of course, the incorrect answer. The correct answer is the best football team is the Mexican national team. <laughs> moving, moving on. All right. Affinity for Herbal writes, Speaking of prison-style MTG decks, how about a red card that lets people only play one card per turn? Affinity for Herbal, I think you've struck gold here. That is the sort of fascinating card that I would love to see printed. What about your opinion, Charmer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it would uh, fit the theme of the attribute. I love that the attributes have identities in this game, and it certainly would fit strengths based on what we know. Um, and it would be... You know, just like Garnag is to, you know, ramp strategies, it would be like the anti-market deck in many ways. And that's exactly the sort of control mechanic that I, like the rule setting mechanic that I want to see more of in red. I'd like to one day be able to play a mono red control deck. I'm not going to lie. Like, <laughs> I fantasize about doing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. One hour rights. I do not come from an MTG background, but I do know that ramping in Hearthstone has become a big issue. With how easy it is to ramp in this game and the many advantages it brings, do you think the ramp mechanic should be revisited in this game? Was ramping ever an issue or abused in MTG? Well, one hour. There have been historically a couple of overpowered ramp cards. Coming to mind immediately are early cards Fast Bond and Channel, which allowed players to ramp to incredible game and gain an unsustainable advantage. At this point, I don't believe Legends has the potential for that sort of blowout. It's not like you're dropping Anduin on turn 4 yet, which would have been possible with cards like Channel. But I do believe that it is one of those mechanics that should have a cap on how many playable sources of ramp there are in any given standard format. How do you feel about this, Charmer? So, you know, comparing it to Magic is an interesting decision because, in my opinion, all there's ramp and then there's, like, cost cheat mechanics and in magic in my experience it was the cheat mechanics that were always the problematic ones with a very few like small exceptions so you know channel to me is like a, a cost cheat because it like really lets you go overboard right like you're basically just you know investing your life to play something for free at that point um, even cards like Force of Will to this day are incredibly powerful and staples in their formats. Um, you know, cards like uh, the Affinity for Artifacts, you know, when Affinity first came out in Mirrodin, um, they had to do a round of nerfs when that came out because that was just like cheat on cheat on cheat and it's not quite the same as ramp. Um, but like ramp, just traditional ramp effects, when I think of like, you know, 12 post tooth and nail. Um, those decks were strong, but never like overtly broken. When I think of, you know, rampant growth based decks, you know, uh, Titan based decks, I think that those are, are fine in magic. You know, as I said earlier in the show, in many ways, they're almost just more about, um, you know, consistency over like outright insane ramp strategies. Um, yeah. you know, a lot the, of magic, a lot of magic ramp is color fixing. Yeah. Like the one time that I would say that it was ever a problem would be, um, and again, in many ways, these are like cheat instead of ramp as well, but like the lotuses and the moxes, right? 
you know, Black Lotus Moxes, even Lotus Petal was certainly abused and, you know, is abused to this day. Um, but Magic's also a very, like, different game. So, yeah. you know, I, yeah. Because I don't... of the difference in the resource mechanic, I think it's difficult to compare with Magic. Yeah. For, for this game, though, I honestly don't think it needs to be revisited. I just think yeah, I... that... Because I think that the mechanic is fine. I just think that the the tools that it has provided in uh, the colors that abuse it now um, outmatch the other tools. So rather than nerfing it, I would rather just see other colors get different tools. Um, you know, I've joked about it, but I would love to see something that is legitimately just like a 3-3 three, three for 3 that says if your opponent has more uh, Max Magicka than you, uh, reduce it by 1. So... It's a three, three for three, and if they've ramped, then you set them back a ramp. Okay, yeah, you know, I like that. Um, but even if it's not anti-ramp, just more, more tools, right? Give us, um, you know, something in the, the other attributes that make it so that the late game isn't, you know, so heavily favored in in Scouts Arena the way that it is right now, uh, and, and then I think you're fine. Um, yeah, I think that the me mechanic is is fine. What do you think about a uh, card? A one-one with guard for three. Summon your opponent loses one max magica. No. Here's no. why. Here's why Th that will never happen. It has to have the words. It has to have the caveat if they have more max magica than you, because. Um, one of the things that they try to tamper down uh, both in this game and in games like Hearthstone are the times where there is like no interaction, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I agree, I agree. And that leads to a play style where you lock your opponent out. And I say this as somebody whose one of their favorite deck archetypes was land destruction and magic. But again, right. I've admitted to being that guy. I love looking across <laughs> at my opponent and knowing that they can't do anything and that they are forced to concede. Land Destruction was that deck, right? Like, when you turn one birds, turn two stone rain, turn three stone rain, turn four, like, plow under, and now, like, I've got five or six Magicka and my opponent still has one, you know, it's it's just one of those things that, like, it's going to be unfun for the person who loses to it, and even if it's not good, like, the one or two times it goes off will be so unfun that it will drive people away. Right. That's not, a, 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 you know, we have cards like Solitaire, right? So like even that card, like, yeah, you do it and then maybe play the second one and they're behind. But then, you know, they've now once they start to stabilize and they kill your guard, now you're just reanimating it with Solitaire and or whatever other effects there are printed in the future. Um, yeah, like I just I don't see them ever printing a mechanic that negates uh, Max Magicka. Like, permanently, like, Garnag is a temporary thing and a unique legend, so him I get. And it still lets you at least go to seven, right? But something that just outright destroys Max Magicka, um, unless it's targeting something that has been ramped, I don't see yeah. it. Because you also would have to answer the question from a design standpoint, like, what happens at 12, right? Yeah. If I'm destroying Max Magicka before we hit that 12 mark, does that mean that, like, that person's Max Magicka stops at 10, or is it like gonna still go to 12 and then you can only naturally cap at 12 like they would have to basically like define that as a rule set um, I, I I totally agree with you and I actually I'm glad I'm glad that's your answer I asked because I know you're a fan of stone rain yeah <laughs> so I I, uh, 
I, I you know I gave the the tree uh, the tree pillager. <laughs> That's cool. I I mean I totally agree with you on that one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, do you think that Thorn Hismage is the problem? I do. I kind of alluded to that earlier when I said that I think that the biggest problem with Thorn Hismage is that it does uh, I think everything too well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it it ramps it's defensive um without sacrificing stats and if it goes unanswered then it hits harder than you know other other five drops um and even more so like the in my mind the same way that lightning bolt defines like what is good at four drops and beyond like how many creatures um you know do you say like are junk because they died a lightning bolt right like lightning bolt is one of those like meta defining cards because it sets a standard to me Hisgrove is like the creature version of that. To me, it's Hisgrove and Hive Defender. And I'm not necessarily, I don't want it to sound like I'm saying Hive Defender is a problem either, but like from a creature standpoint, in my mind, those two also set a standard for the meta. It's why I felt that the um, Thief of Dreams nerf was too harsh. Uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I think it should have been nerfed to a 5-4. There's a big difference between 5 health and 4 health. Uh, going to four, not just because it dies to lightning bolt, but just because the number of things that trade into it and kill it are a big deal. But it needed to at least be big enough to kill his mages, right? Yeah. The fact that his mage, like if his mage was dropped to a three four, um, it it would be a massive nerf, but it would also be making it like incredibly more manageable. Like the five health is a big deal because it can't die to lightning bolt and it can't die to, you know, yeah. all of these things that you would uh you know want to trade into it with um so for right. me i think it's either like that gets the axe or the it gains power as you gain magicka gets the axe because again it just it does too many things well right? it's defensive it ramps and it can hit like a truck if you let it i you know what deck i think decks win if uh to four is important but i think the decks that win the most if thorn his mage goes to three to three four or two four uh, are decks that run um, Cliff Racer has always been a, just sort of like um, I'm trying to think of an appropriate way to say this. It's been blocked by uh, <laughs> by Thorn Hismage for the entirety of the game. You know, yeah. It's been uh, it's one of those things. It's interesting. Yeah, it's. It's, it's so interesting how in a game like this, literally one health or one attack can matter in a card's yeah. like strength and viability as much as it does. But it totally, like we've seen it time and time again, right? Like Brynjolf is, uh, you know, at least starting to see play just because he got one health. Reeve went from non-existent to almost auto-include in any strength mid-range deck just by gaining one attack. Um, yeah, like his mage. I, th- I do think uh, is potentially the problem just because not only does it do everything else well, but it's just, you know, like we, we were talking about Ramp Warrior and how it's starting to see some play, right? But like, to me, it's it pales in comparison still um, because it doesn't have his mage. Um, yeah, right, right. I agree. Yeah, I mean, the when, when the bunch of cards got nerfed down to two toughness, everything changed. The entire meta changed. And I think it would only take a small change to a couple cards to do the same thing. 
I do kind of like the suggestion in chat actually about making his mage a two four that gains health instead of attack. It would do the same kind of blocking, right? In fact, it would be better at it, but it would be a really fascinating change. It's the kind of balance changes I'd love to see happen for like a month. Yeah, and then go back. It it would uh, it would probably have to be a two three if worded that way because it would be at two four it would j just come into play as a two five, and to me right, I, no, I think I... that the five health is the the problematic part, um, just on initial cast, but. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. I mean, it is a class card, so like class cards are meant to be more powerful than others. But like yeah, legitimately, when you when you look at something like Treeminder, right? At three, now again, it's not a class card, but at three, you get a one-one guard that doesn't grow that ramps, and then for two more, I get right. so many more stats and like ongoing benefit. Um, like there's a disconnect there, right? So. Yeah. Ultra Metal 666, by the way, Hail Satan out there in Wakoga Pass. I hope you're not now running into traffic in the 105, writes, Talk about the lookout card that heals as well. Uh, well, Ultimate Metal, Ultra, I'm sorry, Ultra Metal 666, I think that, uh, I think that's a great card. I think that that card gives the scout deck a lot of game against a lot of aggressive decks. It otherwise might be able to mount a comeback. And it is the card I am most surprised was not changed in the balance patch recently. How do you feel, Charmer? Yeah, I'm kind of surprised it didn't get a change. Um, I think everyone expected it to go to a 3-3. I was probably in that boat, if only because of the consistency and stats that it would have had uh, with some of the other like quote-unquote lookout uh, cards. Now, granted, the Willpower one just got a stat buff, right? So now it is in a similar boat to uh, lookout, but like before, that was a 2-4, right? So six total stats for the cost. Uh, the red one that draws you a card was a 3-3, six total stats for the cost. Uh, the blue one is, uh, you know, the 4-2 that gains ward or whatever, right? So six stats for the cost. Like, Lookout from the get-go has been the one that, you know, stands out. Now, I, I don't mention the Endurance one because it wasn't a 3-drop, right? Like, that was a 2-3, um, but that's a 2-drop. So, like, Woodland Lookout just has inherently been the strongest not even counting the effect just the strongest from a if i play this i get the most value if i never get a trigger standpoint uh that continues to be the case and it also is the one with potentially the biggest upside out of all of them um yeah. so it it really does dwarf the others so i would i was expecting it to go to a 3-3 three, three. um i'm not i'm not sure that doing that like even hurts scout if i'm being honest because most scouts are playing it and then also playing a dragon. Like, they're basically waiting till they have nine or more magicka and they're using it for burst healing anyway. So I, I honestly don't even think it affects that deck, but I, I would have expected to see that change. Yeah, I agree. I have one more letter here from SR1999. SR1999 writes, Dear Justin, Based on the recent patch changes, Blue Midrange, Imprison, and Shieldbreaker were nerfed. These particular nerf cards are now seeing very little play with the exception of Imprison. However, Solterra saw three of in every ramp deck. Do you think they address? Do you think they addressed the, what the actual problem with Solterra was? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that every deck that was running Solterra before the nerf is indeed still running Solterra. Uh, I don't have the data behind me that hopefully Direwolf has, but I'm. Uh, it, it feels to me that the change to Solterra was 
a tempo change that didn't really impact the card at all because that is a deck that ramps Magicka. And of course, the combo kill with Giant Bat is still on the table because that's something you pull off turns 8, 9, and, and you know, 8, 9, 10, so on and so forth. Um, that said, I'm not sure that Scout is the powerhouse deck that uh, some sometimes people often believe it is. I think that it is incredibly popular and warping the meta, but I'm not sure that it is uh, you know, going to give you the win rate that suggests the deck itself is broken. I just think that the types of decks that rise up to beat it are fairly linear, boring decks, and that the meta itself is uh, suffering as a result of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a fair assessment. Like, there's been a lot of different ways to suggest how Solterre, like, could be nerfed and you could go in those directions. Um, I will say this about it. I think that um, the increase in cost is more important than people gave it credit for. I've certainly lost games that I would have won in the past because of the increase in cost. Uh, it did a great job of breaking up what I called the 357 opener, which was like Treeminder or Hisgrove into Hist Mage into Solterre plus Hist Mage again. Um, now, there are other things that you can do as a 357 opener, but that was by far the strongest opener that a scout could have, like just yeah, period. And so even He's just... the strongest opener in the game. Yeah, so like even just tempering that a little bit, I think, helped. Um, but yeah, like... Solter is a tricky card because you either have to do something that outright neuters it or you do something that, in my opinion, doesn't uh, change it, like, at all. Um, you either neuter it and you have to say something like, you know, you put the card on top of your deck as opposed to in your hand, at which point it becomes, like, infinitely worse. Or you can do something that says, like, you, you know, maybe level one is it re returns a card that costs, like, three or less. And then after that, it's like return any card. And then the last one is like return a card and buff it. Um, that would slow things down. But it, I mean, it doesn't stop the bat train, realistically. Bat train! Yeah, seriously. Like, it doesn't stop that at all. The only thing that that potentially impacts is like the Perthernax looping. But then again, like you're already playing Soul Terror, so you will have leveled it by the time you play Soul uh, Terror that you get from Perthernax. Like doing right. something like that, I honestly don't think changes the card's interactions at all. And doing something as drastic as putting the card on top of your deck um, almost nerfs it into unplayability at that point. So yeah. I I think that the the cost was the safe adjustment. I think it was the right adjustment to make at the beginning and if they need to make further adjustments they can um but i think that that was like the safe non-knee-jerk reaction i agree i agree been going man this has been a this has been a good show yeah i think so um i think we'll probably take uh you know let's say like one or two more questions and we'll wrap it up i could just keep doing this forever but at least in terms of the cast uh, we'll have to to cut it off for uh, for time considerations, and then uh, you know, like always, you're more than welcome to hang out for the entirety of the stream. But all right, um, well, let's uh, let's ask the two that are on screen right now. All right. Yeah. Shinara wants to know what our favorite cards are in the Elder Scrolls Legends. What's your favorite card, man? Ooh, this one's always uh, tough. I always say it's like trying to pick what my favorite child is. Um, 
in terms of all of the different unique ways that you can like use it and abuse it, it's Nord Firebrand. Um, I know it's a problem child and causes nightmare for some, but there's a reason that like I have time to fight as an emote. It's because whether it's a market deck, whether it's a stealer of secrets like OTK deck, whether it's, you know, just even like Ray Chargels slash Charger slash time to fight. Like I just like the different yeah. archetypes and things. Like it's literally so basic. Like it's just a zero cost one one. But it's so, like, versatile and it matters. Um, so, like, I just, I love the opportunities that that card creates. Um, but from, like, from, like, a flavor uh, standpoint, like, the card that I always want to shoehorn into everything and I try and try and try and then I always pull it out because I just can't justify it, it's probably Orb of Vermina. Oh, that's a good choice. That's a good card. I mean, well, it's not a good card. It may be a good card. In the right meta, it's obviously great. But I like Orb of Vermina. Yeah, I just... Cool. I like it because it's... It's it's card advantage, but it's not necessarily quality card advantage. But it also gives you information yeah. about your opponent's deck. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's just one of those things that, like... Does a little bit, but not a lot. But when it does hit, it, like, feels... Eh. I like cards like that that... Like, when they hit, and they hit, like, really, really awesome... Um, yeah. it creates feel good moments. So like, right. I'm a huge fan of, and for similar reasons, um, Rift and Pickpocket. Like I love playing Rift and Pickpocket. I get to see stuff that my opponent is playing. Yeah. I get to make a decision. I'm a huge, huge fan of what I call micro decisions in card games. I think that's what, um, you know, makes a quality card game is when they present player based decisions that I feel like matter. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, so Orb of Vermina uh, creates interesting scenarios. Rift and Pickpocket, I love stuff like that. Rift and Pickpocket is a card that, with a small shift in the meta, could be... I mean, it's an incredibly powerful card in a deck that doesn't see much play right now. Um, my favorite card today... I mean, it changes a lot. My favorite card today being... I mean, I'm, I'm so inspired by the fact that Altar of Despair is on your screen. I just want to say Altar of Despair, but uh, I've always liked Vigilant Giant, man. Um, with guard for eight that draws your card. Yeah. I think that card is super powerful. Uh, that's a card I always want to play. Um, I'm going to go with that. It's real straightforward. Not really interesting, but uh, that's my pick for today. But or, or, Altar of Despair is uh, a, a personal favorite as well. All right. Oh, and our last question is, will Pilfer Monk ever be viable? Answer, with the cards we have available now, no. Yeah, not with the cards we have available. <laughs> um, I think we talked about it, like, briefly in the last uh, podcast, and I know I've talked about it in an episode of The Forge, but yeah. um, as long as Pilfer requires you to attack your opponent's face, um, and they tried to help it by giving the... Um, you know the slay creature out but as yeah. long as it's a, like aggression based it's going to be too snowball-y all in so it it's either going to be the kind of deck that like dominates the meta or is just always outside of like true viability uh with no no real in between now we could see a shift if they print more things like our two three buddy um, that allow you to trigger pilfer in other ways because right now one of the things we have to remember is the the pilfer cards that exist are balanced around the fact that they had to hit face 
So if we get more cards that allow us to trigger Pilfer in other ways, we might see more powerful Pilfer effects creep in um because it's not just about snowballing a hundred percent at that point so i think your best bet for seeing more pilfer cards see play would be that uh you just you scrap it as a monk only thing you start slapping it on any card that triggers when it hits another player and then every deck runs you know one or two different pilfer cards because four cards but as far as the synergies between just pilfer creatures go it's you know it's all in and it's usually all out. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that you could make an argument that because the Master of Thieves, Thieves Den combo is something you could shove into anything at any point. Like you, you may see a deck try to co- like trigger a combo kill like that. Because um, that combo exists, you know, for eight magic, yeah. slapping both those on the board. You could uh, give all your creatures double strike functionally. Um, bet for. Uh, seeing pilfer as a game winning mechanic in the future yeah i mean i could even see in many ways like a control deck that just looks to win with that at some point yeah exactly you know? myself. i tried to do it with dwemer actually so i didn't try as hard as i probably should have but <laughs> right so we're going to go ahead and wrap up our, our podcast now. I want to thank everybody for hanging out. Uh, this is the podcast portion. Uh, we'll obviously stick around, and at least I will obviously interact. Uh, Justin's more than welcome to hang out as well. Um, but, yeah, we're going to wrap up the podcast portion here. So thanks, everybody, for hanging out. <laughs>